Brooklyn, New York, I'm Adam Teeter. From Connecticut, I'm Erica Ducey. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the Vine Pair Podcast. And guys, it's gorgeous out today. It is Friday, May 15th, when we're recording. I'm staring out my window. It's about 78 degrees outside. And all I want now is a blended drink. <laughs> yes. <laughs> did you buy the blender, Adam? Oh, I did not. Because Vitamix is sending me one. Thank you, Vitamix. I really appreciate it. <laughs> oh, my God. Look at you. I didn't, We never had any follow-up about you guys getting sent wine and spirits. I have not yet received anything. <laughs> I feel like all those people out there in the industry who listen, I mean, Adam's important, but but give, give a thought out for your humble West Coast correspondent. Exactly. Zach would like anyone who makes Pinot Noir Rosé to please send it to him. Email us at podcast at vinepair.com. I will send you his address and we will all convince him that Pinot Noir Rosé is in fact delicious. I actually drank one last week. I know you oh. did. You sent me the picture. Yeah, I figured you would appreciate. I didn't say they were all bad. I just said I don't. they're not what I opt for. But uh, but there are some good ones out there. We had the had Kathleen Inman's uh, Endless Crush uh, Pinot Noir Rosé, which was quite tasty. I mean, her wines are that amazing. Good. Yeah, she's, she's a lovely person, too. I had the chance to visit her uh, last... September uh and uh yeah it's it's beautiful if and when we are ever able to go to visit wineries again I would love to go back yeah yeah I would love to just go there for the first time you know what I'm saying I have a I have a question for you guys that I was thinking about um that that is not related to our topic so I'm going to pose it now which is you know have you felt like when you've done as I'm sure both of both of you had these sort of virtual tastings or, um, you know, uh, classes with winemakers or whatever, you know, sort of all the various things that have been going on. Do you find that it's, it, it sort of scratches that itch or does it just sort of remind you of like, man, I really just wish I was doing this in person? Well, for me, I think it goes both ways. Like it, knowing that I can't travel right now, I do like to hear what winemakers have to say about their wines. So I think it's kind of the second best thing to the in-person or really, frankly, it's the only other thing we can be doing right now. And the Zoom calls or the FaceTimes or what have you, they're better than just being on the phone. So I do like them for uh, for that reason. However, what drives me nuts is that Uh, A lot of times people are tasting through six bottles and, you know, you're not going to have all of those bottles yourself. And so it can be a little bit frustrating to hear people going into such depth uh, about the the flavors and the tastings and the textures when you don't have it in front of you and when you're not tasting it. So I'd say that's my frustration. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, I've actually found them to be pretty cool in all in honesty but for me i think the issue isn't just that it's the it, that it's six bottles you can't have it it's when it's just six bottles in general and i'm like god it's a lot and i've got a lot and like to pay it it's, it's a lot harder i feel like to hold my attention for like an hour and a half sometimes um so i think that they're really good when they're like 30 to 45 minutes they're like that's the sweet spot and when you can hit that sweet spot, there's enough to talk to the winemaker about or the, you know, whoever else is representing the wines. There's enough for them to talk to us, to me about, um, and then we can kind of go on our merry way. And so that's what I find to be really interesting about them. Right. Yeah. I just, I feel like when someone tries to give like a tutorial, like, and I like it when it's an interaction. I think the other thing that I've really enjoyed is um, when I get to 
you know, have co- questions and comments back and forth with them, um, which is cool. And I definitely think it's, it's cool for a lot of producers who are smaller in the wine, beer or spirit space that wouldn't normally have been able to travel to New York anyways. Right. So mm-hmm. this has been a cool experience, like excuse to, to talk to some of them. Um, and it's easy for them to like send a bottle to my apartment. Um, and not as easy for them to like get on a plane and travel pre COVID, obviously. So, uh, you know, I, I do, I do like it, Zach. I do. Well, and I think that's actually a really good point, Adam, is it has in some ways maybe helped to level the playing field a little bit in that, you know, the, you, you're able to potentially connect with, with a winemaker in a, a, at a smaller winery or just a a less, a place that you might yourself not travel, uh, or not have a chance to travel or, or just that you might not otherwise be aware of, but that, you know, the kind of the, the fact that we're all doing this from our homes or places of business or whatever, uh, it does kind of, uh, provide that opportunity. It's been kind of cool because yeah, I've gotten to to sort of at least hear from some winemakers and 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 in a few cases taste some wines that I might not otherwise have come across because it's not in my normal orbit or they're not maybe even available in Washington State right now. But they can send me a sample bottle and I can taste the wine and and yeah, hear from the winemaker and that's that's super cool. Mm-hmm. It is. So before we kick off today's topic, which is uh, coffee, I do want to let listeners know about something really cool coming Wednesday, which is that in your feed on Wednesday, there's not going to be a COVID conversation. But instead, there's going to be the first episode of our brand new podcast we're launching called Wine 101. And Wine 101 is going to be hosted by our tastings director, Keith Beavers. And over 30 weeks, he's going to take you on a journey uh, where you're going to learn everything you need to learn about wine. Now, there's a lot of people who listen to this podcast who probably already know a ton about wine. You may think, oh, this podcast isn't for me, but I'm telling you, Keith's style and the way he approaches wine is so incredible that I think everyone that listens will get something out of it. So just search Wine 101 in iTunes. Uh, we'll also have a link to how you sign up when that when that uh, first preview episode drops in the feed. And then the rest of the episodes will all live in the Wine 101 feed. But we're going to give every listener here that special taste on Wednesday to sort of hear what what we got cooking uh, in the Vine Pair podcast studio. And Keith is also hilarious. So if you ever wanted <laughs> to find parallels between, say, Star Wars and Rosé, he will find <laughs> them. I promise you. <laughs> he will. He will. It's pretty It's pretty, pretty awesome. I, I listened to the first two episodes so far, and they are really, really awesome. Yeah, this is uh, this is like the the Vine Pair Podcast Network now. We're 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 you're, you're starting to reach uh, critical mass. Yeah, I mean, and we're going to launch a third one soon. So like, it's so much going on. Yeah, and then we have something exciting coming up on Thursday as well. We do, Erica. Tell everybody about it. Our text a song program. So we are doing a fundraiser for the United Sommeliers Foundation. And for the upcoming four weeks on Thursday and Friday nights, we will have sommeliers from around the country uh, uh, working shifts. So we as Vine Pair are paying for them to work a shift. And for three hours every Thursday and Friday night, they will be available to answer your individual questions um, to find out who is going to be appearing. And they're really amazing psalms from everywhere around the country. Uh, you can um, follow uh, us on social and go to vinepair.com and you'll see plenty of information coming up about it all next week. It's going to be super dope. Everyone yep. text. And Zach, you should text too because I'm sure there's some, some things you could learn. <laughs> there always is. That's what I love about wine. I ne- I'm never done learning. It's true. It's true. You could be like, hey, uh, Seattle Psalm texting this Psalm. I have a question. Um, how do I know a wine is corked? <laughs> <laughs> that one I'm pretty confident I know. How do I get into Pinot Noir Rosé? Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> 
<laughs> so let's get into today's topic, which has nothing to do with uh, wine, beer, or spirits, but instead has everything to do with why I am so amped right now, and that is coffee. <laughs> so let's chat about it. Um, you know, we we do do a fair amount of coffee coverage on the site, but probably could could do more. I think there's a you know quite an appetite for coffee in this world, and we did have uh, the CEO of Intelligentsia Coffee on as one of our COVID conversations. For those that listened, I, I thought he was you know super interesting. So both first to, to Zach and uh, Erica, are you guys ha- were you big coffee drinkers prior to COVID? Are you bigger coffee drinkers now? Like, what's your relationship with coffee? So for me, I think the biggest change in my sort of uh, coffee consumption since COVID is I really almost drink no espresso now. Uh, and espresso was a big part of my coffee consumption previously. Uh, working in a restaurant, I would say 98% of my shifts would start with either a double shot of espresso or maybe a cappuccino if I was feeling like I wanted a little extra, uh, you know, some extra calories essentially. Um, and I often would also potentially have, uh, some sort of espresso drink in the morning, uh, you know, get it out, but we don't have an espresso machine at our house, although it has come up in conversation, uh, for uh, my wife and I. So, uh, that may change in the future, but now I'm just a pretty much a strictly drip coffee guy. We do go to our neighborhood coffee shop maybe once a week and I'll get a latte or something like that, but that's a basic, basically it. But I drink a, a fair bit of coffee and I have for a very long time, you know, living in Seattle, it's uh, it's pretty much mandatory here uh, that when you get to be, actually I, I held out longer than most. I made it until I was about 18 before I started drinking coffee, but, uh, but definitely, uh, yeah, it's a big part of my life. And, and I love, I actually love brewing coffee. I've always loved drip coffee. I, I, even though I don't think it's necessarily the absolute best kind of coffee you can have from a flavor perspective there is something about the ritual of it it's something that both of my parents did when i was a kid and and there's something about that like full pot of coffee in the morning that is uh that makes me feel good and god knows in these times finding those small daily wins where you feel good (laughs) for a little bit is uh is important so yeah that's 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 my coffee routine i don't know erica how about you yeah, for me, I mean, you're going to love this. So um, I have had an espresso machine since I was 15 years old. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've been a coffee junkie since I was a freshman in high school. I, it's it's crazy. Like I found and I grew up in Seattle, so it makes sense, right? Everyone drinks coffee. There's a drive up espresso huts all around the city. People think it's the weirdest thing, but there is such a coffee culture. And uh, when I was a teenager, that was when Starbucks, that was the second wave. That's when Starbucks was coming to be a big thing. And I wish I had invested back then, but unfortunately did not. And uh, since then, I just have always been really a coffee junkie. I would say that my uh, routine has slimmed down over the years. So while I used to exclusively drink espresso and espresso drinks, now I'm pretty, uh, pretty streamlined and minimalist with my approach. So there's definitely coffee uh, blends and coffee companies that I love. My The one that I have as a go-to right now is Counterculture. I don't Me know too. if you, you know them. Counterculture, yes. So they're from Durham, North Carolina. They've been around for 20 years. They're an amazing third wave coffee producer. And there's this blend that they have that I found at a cafe in New York a couple years ago called Big Trouble. It's their blend that is the most rounded, mouth-filling, incredible, sort of caramel, nutty, chocolatey coffee I have ever had. And I am deeply obsessed with it. I have two bags delivered 
every two weeks. And <laughs> I, I just do a very simple pour over, but I can't substitute it with anything else. Now I'm completely obsessed. So that that's my latest coffee obsession. I have gone uh, through many stages over the years, but right now it's um, the counterculture coffee, big trouble. And I do a little bit of steamed and frothed oat milk, a little bit of agave and top it with, you know, probably seven eighths coffee. Um, and that's what I drink every, every morning without fail. That's amazing. I love that you like have the entire, you know, breakdown of like how much milk is in it. And like, it's, it's super <laughs> precise. I just, I mean, it makes a lot of sense um, for me. So I basically, gosh, I got, I got into coffee when I was in high school. Cause I thought it was like cool. And basically, um, you know, I had a really good friend and he and I would like go on like a, you know, Friday night or whatever. Cause we didn't want to hang out with the other people that we went to high school with. Um, and we'd like go to waffle house and we would like sit there and drink coffee and, hang out um yeah that's right guys i was really cool um and so basically you know i got into coffee through like kind of that burnt diner coffee which actually i still have a real love for because that's like that coffee that you could literally drink like 20 of and feel nothing um but there's something really like great about that sometimes um and so then obviously when i got to college that evolved and i was like oh i you know i want to get into like making espresso drinks and yada 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 but like there were a few third wave coffee shops in Atlanta, but like they weren't the rage really till I was almost done with college. So it was still kind of Starbucks. And um, I think that actually kind of ruined me on coffee because I, I didn't at that point think that anything was that delicious. Um, and then, yeah, after graduating college and moving to New York, I kind of just became obsessed and it was espresso drinks first. Um, and then I became pretty obsessed with like making the perfect just like pot of coffee um, and then I've always, it's weird. I've always had this thing in my coffee journey where like I take a few years off of it. So then I stopped drinking it for a while. Um, and then I came back and drank it again, like wondering, like, was I getting too dependent, whatever. And then when I finally went back to get my MBA, like I went all in on coffee because it was the only way I could basically work during the day and go to Stern at night. Like if I, there was no way I was gonna be able to do both. Um, and I sort of like got back into some of these cool coffee shops and like, I, start, I got really into Intelligentsia and La Colombe and Think and all the stuff that was kind of around the campus of NYU. Um, and then I like graduated and instead of like getting any of these crazy machines, I was gifted an espresso machine. <laughs> and I was like, well, this is really convenient. And a lot of my obsession with making coffee kind of disappeared out of just the convenience of both then starting Vine Pair and feeling like I just didn't have enough time in the morning. And so I lost that romanticism I used to have, that ritual of I was going to wake up and like either make a French press or make a really fresh pot. And I had like, you know, one of the pots that was those machines that did the actual pour over brew. But like, I kind of just like stopped all of that and went straight to Nespresso. And now I've been like re-examining should I go back to something romantic. I'm like, do I want to get an AeroPress? I know people who are obsessed with AeroPresses. I asked um, you guys on the the end of day check-in, you know, on the Zoom yesterday, if anyone on the team had an AeroPress. Tim did, says it's 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 good. But, you know, I, I've done a lot of reading. And I don't know. I mean, because there is just something so cool about that ritual in the morning that is just kind of reminds you that it's time to take a little pause. Don't get stressed out. Don't get into your emails immediately and like have your coffee. 
Yeah, I think that's an awesome point. And, and one that I was going to mention is like kind of a nice benefit to this time, which is like most of us, I mean, depends on what your day is like, but, but I love part of the thing I love about drip coffee or brewed coffee and, and that whole thing is that it does take a little while. Like we've, when we've been traveling, you know, sometimes like everyone, you know, you're in the hotel room and you, you just want the like Keurig, whatever instant coffee because you want it right now. But I love, you know, sort of that my, my home setup takes, you know, 10 ish minutes to brew a, a pot of coffee. And that's kind of nice because it's like it, it it just it makes it feel a little more special. I also want to one aside, which is it's funny because Adam and I are I, you were at NYU a few years after I was. And when I was going to NYU, my coffee shop was Cafe Dante, which is hilarious to me now that it's also like <laughs> this world famous cocktail bar because I used yeah. to sit there like three days a week and like, you know, just sit and have a cup of coffee. I wouldn't really – it wasn't the kind of place – for those of you who have been there, you know this. It's not the kind of place you go set up shop and do work, but I would love to just have like a cappuccino and sit there and just like watch people walk by uh because great people watching in the west village but um but yeah it's funny to me that that was like because the the third wave shops were opening but when i was at when i was at nyu it was it was still really like uh, yeah my my classmates all went to starbucks you know there were definitely places you could go but and there were so there were all the kind of east village like haunts i guess but they were not it wasn't what it is now it's it's striking to go uh the last times i've been in new york and see how many great coffee shops there were because because 15 years ago they weren't really there or if they were i wasn't aware of them was think there yet do you remember i don't think so not to make a bad pun but um they were i my recollection is that that whole stretch like that whole part of and again this is sorry for most of you this is probably not very interesting but but that whole area around the nyu campus was really there wasn't a lot of there was a lot of like weird kind of like it had not developed the way that it is now because that area, that neighborhood was sort of a weird transitional neighborhood. You know, it wasn't the sort of glitz of Soho. It wasn't the kind of bohemia of the East village. It wasn't whatever of the West village. It was kind of its own weird pocket, but it was mostly, you know, a lot, you know, NYU was growing really rapidly and sort of taking over all these buildings. And so they had sort of a lot of the smaller places that had existed, the kind of hole in the walls were, were getting driven out one way or another, either they were, the buildings were being bought up or they were rents were going up or whatever. So, so it wasn't until that sort of next wave came in that was like, Hey, we can sell, you know, five, six, $7 coffee drinks and we know how to do it. And we make them really good. It was really not the domain. You know, it was like I said, it was Starbucks and Starbucks was everywhere around that area probably still is but i mean it was the joke in among my classmates that like there was a starbucks the starbucks in astor square you could stand in front of and see three other starbucks yeah that is that's pretty I, remarkable i don't think it's still the case but it was even when i first moved here so i have yeah. a to i mean i have two questions for both of you but i guess we'll go with the first one because it's building on my aeropress question do you have like coffee tools that you love so whether it's something like the aeropress or whether it's i don't know a french press or some people are really into the chemex or you just like the straight up, like I like the pot of coffee. I'm not into the pour over method. I'm I'm curious. Well, I first of all have a burr grinder. So if you if you don't know the different types of coffee grinders to uh, grind, you know all of the beans. Like I think what you should get is a burr grinder. So this is a certain type of grinder that. Um, it, I think it does make a difference. I mean, I've experimented with all sorts of different coffee grinders, all sorts of different, um, you know, Chemexes and so forth. And I think the burr grinder has the best grind. I have a Cuisinart burr grinder, um, but that's as opposed to like a blade grinder. So it grinds the coffee differently. So what, is it, but what then, does it do like, Erica? Is it, is it 
I mean, I have one too, but for those that aren't familiar with it, yeah. like, cause I think a lot of people, like my dad all growing up always had that blade one, right? You like, you just press it and it will like just pulverize the beans. Um, what does the burr grinder do that's different? I don't know exactly the, you know, technical, you know, sort of reasoning about why it is different, but I do find that it leads to uh, a better product. So I feel that you get a more sort of, I don't know if it's like mellower or rounder or something like that, but I think it it does have a qualitative difference, at least Mm -hmm. to my um, palate that has made me decide, okay, between a blade grinder and a burr grinder side by side, I prefer the result of the burr grinder. So that's my grinder. And then having tried all of the tools and uh, ways to make coffee, I do just a simple cone. So I have a cone that, um, and just a recyclable sort of, um, you know, paper filter that's unbleached. And uh, I just heat everything up. So I heat up a thermos with boiling water. And then I just do the pour over. So when I'm doing the pour over, I bloom the coffee. Blooming the coffee is very important. So that means, you know, you have your uh, filter and then you just pour a tiny bit of the boiling water into the grounds and then let the coffee, let the grounds bloom a little bit. And then I just pour about a quarter of a cup of boiling water at a time on top of that to extract the most amount of oils and aromatics. So I think that, I mean, that is the best result that I've found for making coffee. Zach, what about you, man? So also a burr grinder person. Uh, and because I think to me, the the way it's always been explained to me is that the the, the benefit of the burr grinder is sort of twofold. One, it doesn't heat the the coffee as it's grinding. Like there's not as much friction. So you, you can get the issue with a burr grinder, or sorry, with a blade grinder is you get a, you can sort of char the coffee if, it, if you're particularly uh, trying to get really fine finely ground coffee it's also much more like your grounds come out much more uniform so you're you're better able to kind of control the essentially control the the, the degree of uh either coarseness or fineness of your coffee grounds which gives you a different sort of flavor even with the same beans i'm not uh, we're the we're a household where i like being able to pour things in a machine hit a button and then walk away um i've definitely occasionally make pour overs but i frankly just my mornings don't have that kind of leisure time in them. I have a younger <laughs> child than Erica, so I can't rely on him to uh, entertain himself for 15 minutes while I make myself a cup of coffee. Plus I'd like to know that if I want to refill it, it's not another 15 minutes, but I do think that uh, I've definitely been a French press person when I was single. Like that was my thing uh, because you could make, you know, it was a more efficient or a more effective uh, amount of coffee. But, but yeah, I'm a, I just, I, I don't go too. I, I like it when, when other people put that much effort in sometimes for me, but that's like when I go buy a fancy cup of coffee somewhere and make them do all the work. I kind of, in the end, just am like, I love, I like to drink coffee. I drink a lot of it, but I have found, and this may come as a surprise to listeners. It is like one of the beverage areas where I just, I have not bring, been able to bring myself to get too, too nerdy, I guess. I, I, I know sort of vaguely stylistically what I like in terms of the kinds of beans and maybe the source but I just, I don't know. I just have only so much capacity to care about, you know, this <laughs> slope of uh, this hill in this place. And that is dedicated to wine and to a lesser extent, beer and spirits. And and it just doesn't go for coffee for me. So, sorry. I'm really into coffee. I just, yeah, I think for me, the it, it, I lost it when I started, you know, when I started Vine Pair. And I just didn't have time anymore. And the Nespresso just became this thing where like, it was so convenient and 
I know that there's like a lot of people who knock on it. They're like, it's better than the Keurig, but not much, you know, and <laughs> it's, it's an espresso, I guess. But to me, like it's a solid, it's in a solid espresso. That's all I drink. I don't use it for anything else. And it is that like hit of caffeine I need, but I feel like now in these, in these COVID times, I am missing that, which is why I was excited to have this conversation because I do want to think about maybe should I purchase something else? Is there, is there a, a product I should have that I should get into? Are there bean blends? So that's this is my next question, which is like, okay, so fine, Zach, you don't do, you don't want the long process. I get that, but you have to have a preferred roast. Yes. Yeah, I am a, uh, again, this is probably going to like get me some hate mail, but I'm kind of a dark roast guy. I don't, I, I'm, I don't know whether it's just from, that's what I grew up around in, in Seattle and, and that was the thing, but, but I like the sort of, you know, darker side, maybe not like fully French roast. I don't use espresso beans in my coffee machine, but, but I like the sort of caramel, chocolatey, rich side of coffee more than I like the sort of, fruity acidic tart side that you certainly find from some roasters that's more their style and and i and i understand that and i think you know occasionally for me if i'm gonna have a really really nice single pour over and it's gonna and i'm gonna have it without any milk or any sugar or anything else in it and i'm gonna really sip on it and think about it then i can find those those kinds of uh blends or those single origin uh, beans as as being interesting but when i'm talking about my day-to-day coffee routine I like a little like a little cream in my coffee. Uh, sometimes I even like a little sugar in my coffee, and I like the robust flavors. I mean, not charred. I don't want to. I don't want to feel like I'm drinking, you know, tar. But I do like the sort of darker, deeper, richer flavors, which is just my style. I guess. Mm-hmm. I feel that. Yeah, I like medium roast. I I have to say, after drinking dark roast for so many years, I just at some point just decided that I wanted a little bit of. I guess it's, it's sort of a rounder flavor mm-hmm. is uh, and, and a rounder kind of mouthfeel is how I describe it for lack of a better term. I'm definitely not a coffee expert, but I think one area that I've been interested in following a little bit, and we're doing an upcoming article on this is instant coffees. Have you guys seen these, the, the third wave? Instant oh yeah, coffees? I have. I have. I've, I've seen people who've also done like taste tests of them and stuff. And I feel like, I don't know. I mean, so I actually did have one that was interesting that was, was it counterculture? Yeah, it was counterculture that it was like it was a tea bag. And then Right, I saw you, that. And it was actually like I it was pretty good. Like it was in a pinch, I could see again, like I do wonder now how much there's gonna be a use for these for the in the foreseeable future. But you know, I could see like you're in a you know, you're traveling, you throw a few in your bag, you're in the hotel, all the hotel has the Keurig, you maybe don't want to go downstairs if they even have coffee in the lobby, right? And so you just use the curry to make hot water. And, and that's sort of like what they were pushing when I, when I had it. And then, you know, you just dunk the bag like you would tea and you have a much better cup of coffee than you, you would have otherwise, but I can't see myself doing that at home as an alternative to either something like Nespresso or to what you guys are talking about, you know, actually grinding my own beans and, you know, making a, a pot or a French press or something like that. Yeah, we we're doing an article uh, this coming week about five of the best instant coffees, and they're pretty pricey. Yeah. So out of the taste test, uh, we came up with a Swift Cup, Waka Coffee, Tandem, and Verve Street, and these. And I think Swift Cup had two uh, selections in there, and it ranges from ten to sixteen dollars for six cups of coffee. That's a lot, man. So 
It's a lot. Um, the coffees are really delicious. There's no question about it. And I do think that where I would purchase these is when I'm going overseas, um, which may not be for a while, but when I'm going out of town or, you know, going to another country and I'm not sure if the coffee is going to be to my liking, then I can see traveling with these. I think that's a great use that's case. That's the only use case I see. Like, I just don't know why you would have – I mean, I guess if you had instant coffee, if you're that kind of person that is a big, I guess, I'm talking about myself, sort of like a pod person, right? So you're using – not like a pod person, pod person, let's be clear. <laughs> but, you know, like a, a Nespresso, maybe you're a, a Keurig person, et cetera. I could see how this is an upgrade from – especially the Keurig – um, but with, you know, better flavor and it's still quite kind of fast, but I don't know. So Erica, did you taste these yourself? I've tasted some of these. Yeah. I didn't taste them for this particular tasting, but I, I have tried a couple of them. How fast is it to make them? Like, what do you, what's the, what's the process? So you just open the packet, pour the very finely ground grinds into, and it's freeze dried. So they're freeze dried grounds. Uh, pour boiling water over it. And so it's five seconds. It takes five seconds to make a cup of coffee. And it really is the same quality as one of the, you know, pour over coffees that we're discussing. Why Why are all these coffee, these third wave coffee places getting into this? I, I'm actually very, I'm very curious. I have a thought, which is, I think that the other place that I could see this functioning is in a, maybe not a vine pair, but in a in an office setting, which again may seem super unfamiliar to most of us right now, but but was a dominant coffee consumption place. And I think about this all the time because my wife bitches endlessly about the quality of coffee at her office, and justifiably, it's pretty bad. But like, I think if you are the the kind of office place that maybe you have you know uh, or access to kind of hot water, you know, boiling water on demand, you have a you know boiling water tap or something like that. The thought of being able to get up dump one of these packets into your cup, pour water on it, walk back to your desk and drink it. You know, it's probably better than the the brewed pot of coffee that's been kicking around in the same carafe for who knows how long. So maybe there's a there's a place for it there, but but I agree that I don't think home no, use makes a lot all. of sense to me. Right. Too expensive. Yeah, I mean that's insane. That's really insane. Well, guys, I mean that's I guess that's our coffee conversation. <laughs> I wanna, no, 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 I'm not done here. I have okay, one last thought, which is that like this is the ideal time uh, because you know what the hell, right? Like I think coffee plus booze can be a really like fun combo. And yes, granted, we're getting into uh, the seat time of year, as Adam mentioned at the top. That's that's nice weather, so maybe we're not thinking about coffee drinks as being a big part of our lives because they're something we associate with cold weather. But I actually think cold brew and and cocktails go really really well together. There's some really excellent uh, ways to use uh, cold, whether you're making you know true cold brew or frankly you're just chilling down brewed coffee, which is not very not as good, but sometimes does it for me because it's what I have time to do. Uh, and I just think like it can be a really nice sort of like it's to me, it's like often my sort of uh, equivalent of happy hour indulgence is like a, a cold coffee drink with a little booze in it kind of gives me that like last bit of energy to get over the finish line of my day, but also is a little bit of booze because um, 
I like that too. Uh, that is what most of us are into on this podcast. So, so I don't, I don't, I, I can think about whether there's some uh, specific combos. I, I tend to like to put like a little Amaro in there or, um, or something that's like a little bit like Frangelico is another uh, sort of flavor that I like to add in. You could certainly go a little harder with whiskey or something like that, but, or rum uh, works really nicely as well. But I just, I love that combo. Um, Cause again, I like dark roast coffee. So it makes sense to me that I would like the sort of richer, deeper flavored spirits with it too. Yeah. And getting back to Adam's blender drinks, uh, one of my favorite things to do in the summer is to take cold brew coffee and uh, throw some ice into a blender and then just pour a little bit of amaretto or a little bit of Cointreau or a little bit of any type of liqueur. Best blended drink ever. That sounds oh delicious. God, now you really got to get the blender out. Yeah, it's a coffee granita with a little bit of booze. That's so delicious. good. I, I will say, in terms of my like one of my favorite like coffee, if we're talking about now alcohol drinks, I do love the co- the cafe correcto. Um, it's like you know, just like a oh, shot yeah. of espresso and then a shot of like usually, I guess it'll be sambuca, but um, you can do it with uh, you know a, a shot of espresso and an amaro next to it or something is like a nice you know way to to end a meal. Um, you know, to even in the middle of the day, like, you know, just feel a little good, you know, a little, little bit of tomorrow, a little bit of <laughs> yeah. espresso, you know, just correct, correct. I like it. It's good. <laughs> you and I may have had a few of those in Italy. We uh, definitely we did. We definitely out. did. Well, this has been another great conversation. Thank you guys both for joining me as always. Uh, I may have to go and buy an AeroPress now um, and, and, and then have some updates for you guys down the road. Cause I feel a little left out that I like, you're both at least somewhat drinking the legit coffee and I'm sitting here with an espresso. So I might have to try to change my ways. Um, and I'll update you guys next week. Sounds good. Talk to you then. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair podcast. If you enjoy listening to us every week, please leave us a review or rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and hosted by Zach Jabal, Erica Ducey, and me, Adam Teeter. Our engineer is Nick Patry and Keith Beavers. I'd also like to give a special shout out to my Vine Pair co-founder, Josh Mallon, and the rest of the Vine Pair team for their support. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again right here next week.